Uh, we're going to uh, be in, uh, you can see Philippians chapter 4 and Psalm 46 this morning as we try to go through the uh, rest of our dis- disciplines for spiritual health, spiritual disciplines that we hopefully are not just hearing and putting in a file in our mind somewhere, but we're allowing God to take this information and to uh, study even deeper each one of these topics or each one of these points as you have your personal study, as you have your family Bible studies, you will kind of look into these uh, disciplines so that you would continue to grow, you would continue to grow, and then the church would continue to grow, and the kingdom of God would continue to be glorified. Isn't that the result that we're looking for, right? So uh, today we're going to talk about uh, simplicity and solitude. The previous disciplines that we had talked about all had to do with the inner, the inward life. What goes on between you and God and what goes on between you and you. Everything else that we're going to talk about in this series has to do with uh, how those things are going to be used and how uh, they come out of us into our lives with uh, other people and the way that the world sees you and me, right? So don't think that uh, you can master one at a time. All of these things go together. And they are really just one thing, even though there's a lot of things to look at, and it's very complex. Okay, so just be aware that this is uh, these are just some tools that you're going to use, focus on, so that you can uh, have a starting place between you and God. And if you and God can uh, do what you do to get where He wants you to be spiritually, right? And then he, by His guidance, of course, we do what He wants us to do. The worst thing in the world is to decide what you're going to do and then go tell God, right? So let's go seek God and ask him what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you a quick uh, quick story. I don't know if this is true or not, but this kind of helps us to this morning as we, we're going to talk about simplicity first in Philippians chapter 4 when we get there. Uh, there was this really wealthy guy moving into this neighborhood, and uh, he had hired a bunch of movers, and they came with a bunch of trucks to pick up all of his stuff and move all of his things to his new residence. And he happened to be moving into an area that was next door or neighbors to a Quaker man, a man who was a Quaker. And if you know anything about the Quakers, they, they're kind of simple people, right? They, they kind of do with whatever it is they need and absolutely no more than that, right? They're, they're simple people, and they purposely live that way. And that's what they believe, and that's, uh, they, they kind of look for the, the, what they call the painless life, Right? Life that has less pain in it, so the peaceful life. So as this Quaker was standing in his property, watching this uh, movers move all of this man's stuff into his house, okay, he was moving all his furniture and all of his artwork and all of his toys and all of his clothes and all of the latest vehicles and whatever else this wealthy man had, and he finally went over and he introduced himself as a good neighbor would, right? Told him his name and welcomed him to the neighborhood. And he said, he said this in his uh, quaint Quaker way. He said, neighbor, if thee have need of anything, please come and see me, and I will tell thee how to do without. Just trying to help, being neighborly. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, everybody here has a list of needs or wants. We have, we have our own list of needs and wants. 
But I'm pretty confident that if we sat down with those lists of needs and wants and compared them to what God says we need and should want, right, they probably wouldn't match up very closely. Because what we think we need probably should be on the want side more often than not, right? And sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. And sometimes we ask and don't have because we don't need. Make sense? This is, see, if you understand that, then it's easier to accept when God says no. Because we don't like to be told no. We don't like to be told what to do, and we don't like to be told no. It's sad, isn't it? But it's true. This is not new. This has been going on since the beginning of Adam, Adam and Eve. They were told, don't do this. They were told what not to do, and they were told no, and they still did and got themselves in trouble. So don't, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Let's go into chapter 4 of Philippians and verse 10 through 12. All right, it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you have renewed your concern for me. Uh, indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. If you were in Sunday school this morning, you know that the beginning of this letter had to do with Paul writing a letter to this church because he was in house arrest and uh, things were getting hard for him and the church, but God was being glorified. So then he, he's continuing. This is toward the end of the letter. He says, but you had no opportunity to show uh, the concern. I am not saying this because I am in need, even though he's in jail, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's a lot that he said right there. And for the average person, the average Christian, the majority of what he said is a struggle for all of us. You know, the, the latest saying nowadays is, the struggle's real. You heard, if you've heard that, you know what I mean. If you got, the young people say it, right? And if you're paying attention to the young people, you'll pick up on that. But it is, the struggle is real to be content, isn't it? Some, a lot of times we don't even know what contentment is. We don't know how to be content. Sometimes people have never, ever been content in their entire life. Could have everything in the world handed to them and still not content. Sometimes people believe they're being content, but they really don't understand contentment and they're really not content. Some people can get it. Some people are content. When I'm talking about these things, remember that we're talking about our spiritual lives. We're talking about our spiritual growth. Okay? So when, 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 when he's saying to them, he's saying, I'm learned to be content in all situations, whether I have or whether I don't have. Whether things are hard or whether they're easy, I've been able to be content. I know how to do it. It's, a, it's, not, it's really not a secret. He calls it a secret because it's elusive to people. Everybody's looking for that uh, happiness, that what, what our nation knows as the American dream been going on since the beginning of America, right? The reality about the American dream is it lives in every individual heart and it's different for everybody. The sad part about it is that we never reach it because there's always more to get, so we're never content. Do you really want to be content? Because most people will go and get whatever it is they really want. They will pursue it with a passion. And I fear that maybe it's true that from time to time, if not always, we don't really want contentment because we don't have nothing to worry about. We've, we've created this habit of worrying 
all the time. And if we don't have anything to worry about, then we don't, have, we don't know how to act. Like a person who's been sick their entire life, and then suddenly, after years and years and years of sickness, they're not sick anymore. They don't know how to live in a healthy way. They don't know how to be healthy, so it's a strange thing to them. But contentment is what the key, the, the secret is to be content is what we're about to find out. What is the secret? Well, let's look what he says. This is the world's way of advising us how to be content, right? Anytime you're learning to do something, many of my uh, teachers in life, uh, mentors, uh, men in my life that were older to me and showed me the ropes about how to live in this world as a man, they a lot of times tell me, keep it simple, stupid. And they're not calling me stupid. They're saying to say that to yourself. Because if you make it harder than what it is, you're causing problems for yourself and you're stressing yourself out. And it doesn't need to be hard. Love God and love people. Why is that so difficult? Mostly because we don't let God do it in our hearts. We're trying to do it. We're trying to work hard at loving God and loving people in our own strength. And we don't let the Spirit of God do that. All we have to do is surrender to Him. And we'll find ourselves, we'll find ourselves loving people in ways that we never even would have dreamed that we would be able to do. You ever seen somebody uh, have an offense committed against them in such a great and grievous way, horrific way, and then suddenly they're on the news channel saying, well, I forgive that person for what they did to me and my family. And we're all sitting back going, wow, I could never do that. I could never forgive them for that because that was such a terrible thing. It's because people know how to be content. Content with what? Content with the way the world is, content with what you've built in your life, content with what you've achieved with your life, with what you're trying to do, with your plan. Are you content with your kingdom? Or are we trying to be content with God and who he is? Because God is my king. He's my Lord. He's my father. He's, he's my savior. And if that's not enough, then I'm never going to be content. Ever. So tell yourself... I would say, kiss yourself. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. K-I-S-S, right? Here's what the Bible says about the secret to contentment. Verse four, uh, chapter, uh, Psalm 46 and verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. This is why Paul and many other people since him and throughout the scripture and even today can say that I've learned to be content in any and all situation, good, bad, or any other way, is because God is my refuge and my strength. Talking about the creator. Talking about the holy one. Talking about the one who has our eternal life in his hands. He's our refuge. That means he's a place to hide. He's a place of safety. And he's our strength. When we run out to the end of ourselves because we keep trying to do everything on our own, he's still our strength. Really, the Christian should never get that tired, spiritually. Because we should be constantly drawing on God's strength, which is never-ending. We get physically tired because we spend all our energy, and then we have to take a nap because that's the way God designed us. We have to be restored. Our energy needs to be built back up so that we can do it again. Whatever it is, it is. But spiritually, if we get drained, it's because we're trying to do things in our own strength and not God's strength. God is my strength. God is my refuge. If I have nothing else in this world ever, if I have God, I have it all. Right? 
I mean, we've been here almost an hour. So I know y'all are thawed out, so amens can come a little bit faster. I'm talking about God, right? I'm talking about his strength and his power. I'm talking about the one that loves you enough to let Jesus die for you so you can have access to all of this. And we sit at home all night. We can't even sleep because we're stressed out about how to be content and how to get these problems over with. And the last thing we think about is God's strength and his refuge and the courage that comes with that. It says, an ever-present help in trouble. What possible trouble could come to the Christian that God can't handle? Tommy was standing up here saying this, do I really believe what I say I believe? Isn't that what you were saying? Do you really believe what you say you believe? If so, then we should do great things in trouble. We should be screaming out that God is God and he's awesome during trouble and hard times. When everyone else can't be content, the Christian should be content. Even when we don't have what we think we want or need. Sometimes what we need to do is just wad up our lists of wants and needs and throw them away. And just ask God. He's not going to show you his list because it's his list and it's none of your business. Just ask him what you need for the moment. You see, everything can be tied to Jesus' teaching on how to pray, right? Give me today my daily bread. That means whatever it is I need to serve the Lord today, please give that to me so I can honor you. Isn't that great? I don't have a helicopter. I really want one. But I'm content if I don't get one. Right? You know how come I can be content without a helicopter? Because the Lord always reminds me all the bills that come with owning a helicopter. Paying for gas, insurance, and all that training, and all that certification. Look what else it says in verse 2. Because of verse 1, he says, this is David, by the way. He says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the earth of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. He's saying whatever happens, no matter what happens, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to stand firm in what I believe, and God is going to be my God, and you're not going to change my mind. It's that simple. It's simple. God is God, and I'm not. And he loves me enough that nothing bad can happen to me that's that's going to separate me from him. What he's saying is this entire world can be thrown upside down, turned inside out, and destroyed, and I'm still going to be content with my God. Isn't that awesome? And when we worry and stress and fret over the things that aren't because they're on our list, what is it saying about our relationship with God? What is it saying about our trust in our God? I'm not trying to accuse anybody or break anybody down. I'm trying to encourage you. Because I've been where y'all have been. We've all been there. There's times when you can't see through the smoke of the fire. And you just have to know that God is God. Right? You think about Daniel and his... One preacher said it... Uh, uh, what did he say? What's their name? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... He said, uh, my shack, your shack, and a, bund- and a bungalows. <laughs> <laughs> you think about them guys 
You think about them guys standing in a, 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 what they, what's described as a fiery furnace. Daniel said, whatever you do to me is not going to change my God. Whatever you threaten me with is, doesn't change that God is God and I love him and I'm committed to it. It's not going to change a thing. So they threw him in the fire. It's one thing to stand and be bold in, in your faith and say, I believe. But you, you, you and I need to be ready for somebody to call us on that. It's one thing to say, I believe and you can do anything and then nobody does anything. And then you feel and I feel like we've done something and we have. But when somebody throws you in the fire to test your faith, are you ready? They were standing in that fire talking to Jesus, according to the scripture. Remember that? If, I'm a, if that's the only place I got to talk to Jesus, uh, that's where I want to be. It's not the only place, but if it were, that's where I would want to be. <laughs> because God is my God, I will not fear. And I believe that worry is a byproduct of fear. And we all struggle with it. Right? What if things don't go your way? What if things don't happen the way you want them to? What if those people you're praying for don't ever get saved? What if the blessings that you're expecting from God and for your children don't seem to be coming the way that you want them to come or think God would have them come. What if? What does that mean? It doesn't mean that God is not God, and it, does, it certainly doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It just means that you don't know God's plan, and you don't know what he's doing. And you, you know as well as I do that you can't make somebody else believe that Jesus is the Christ and be saved. No matter how much you love them, you can't make them do it. It's not our job to make people get saved. It's our job to tell people that Jesus loves them and they have opportunity. The door's open. And if nobody ever gets saved because of your witness, you will still stand before the Lord and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not because you failed, it's because they didn't receive the message. Yeah? So why, what is it that we have to, to worry about? Here's a quote, Gordon MacDonald a book called Ordering Your Private World. He says this, few of us can fully appreciate the terrible conspiracy of noise there is about us, about us, noise that denies us the silence and solitude we need for this cultivation of the inner garden, inner garden meaning your own heart and your soul. And he says it would not be uh, hard to believe that the arch enemy of God hasn't conspired to surround us at every conceivable point in our lives with the interfering noises of civilization uh, that when left unruffled, unmuffled, it's supposed to say, usually drown out the voice of God. He who walks with God will tell you plainly, God does not ordinarily shout to make himself heard. Solitude, simplicity, is simple. Go talk to God, and then respond to what God says. You're not going to hear God unless you get away. Jesus went in the mountains a lot. He got away from people, especially when there was thousands trying to get it to him. And he just would break away, and he would just go up there, and he wouldn't have to answer to nobody. He'd just go and get by himself because he wanted to talk to the Father. It was important. It was God and him. Right? A lot of times people come into the preacher's office 
or come to a Bible study and they say, I, I don't know how to hear from God. How do we know God is talking to me? And many times they're not hearing God because there's so much other noise in their life. And they never stop long enough to hear God. God is God. He's not going to get a megaphone, right? He's not, he doesn't need to do that. You either revere him as Lord and you listen to him or you don't. And if he's your God and you say he is God, then you say, yes, Lord, when he's speaking. Because if you say, no, Lord, then he's not your God, right? <laughs> Nobody refuses the king. That's how kingdoms work. Look at verse 10 of, of Psalm 46. This is solitude right here. The key to the, spirit, the spiritual discipline of solitude. Be still and know that I am God. And he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. A couple of different statements there. First part of it's what we all know. We all recognize that, and it should be familiar to anybody who's studied the Bible at all or even heard sermons from time to time. It says, be still and know that I am God. Many times people quote this in the middle of storms in life because things are so hard, and you have to be told by a, a person who loves you enough to help you and encourage you, and they say, God is still God. Let's just relax. Just be still and let God be God. Just be still. But what about when things are great and you don't have problems? Some of y'all are going, that ain't never happened. <laughs> well, it should. Because we need to be content. Being still means more than just stopping and listening. Back in the day when we had phones connected to the wall and you had to stay in the room because the phone cord would only go so far and if there was a bunch of people talking, you'd have to stop and tell everybody, hey, I'm on the phone, be quiet, get out of here. Now you could just walk outside and be by yourself, right, to hear what's going on. You can't focus on what God is saying to you if you don't get away from the noise of life. And this is not anything new in any generation of life or any age of life throughout the ages. But there's so much coming at us all the time, especially if you have one of them smartphone things. I, I'm a technology guy, in case y'all didn't notice. Right? You can go in there and look at my office, and there's three computers on the desk in there. But sometimes I have to get out of that office because of that. And I have to take a walk so I can hear God. Right? Sometimes you're driving down the road and you've got so many gadgets that they're all dinging at the same time because you've got settings that people are talking to you from different social medias and different emails and voicemails and, and it's just for on and on. And you're trying to do something and it just keeps going. The next thing you know, the whole day's gone by and you haven't even focused on anything. How can you be content that way? How is life simple when you've got that much going on all the time? Is it bad? Is it sinful? No, it's not sinful to use those things and have those things a part of your life. But they have to be controlled so that God can be number one. Solitude. You have to get alone with God. You have to get alone. He's still God. It means I'm going to stop striving. I'm going to be still. I'm going to stop striving to fix all these problems in my own strength. I'm just going to wait for God. It's hard for me because I'm a person, when I get something in my mind and I got plans, I want to go do it. I'm like a, 
I'm like one of them racehorses that won't get in the gate because he wants to run so much, but he won't get in the gates and he can't run the race. He's not even in the race because he won't get in the gate and wait for the bell. It's great to be excited, but you've got to wait for God. It's, it's terrible to have a need, but you still have to wait for God. <clears throat> Just know that he's God. Why do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Why do you believe that God is the creator God and he's almighty? Why do you believe all this stuff? Because I'm standing up here saying it? Or is it because you studied your Bible and that the spirit of God is working in your heart? And you know that it's true in your mind and you've seen God work in your life. And I'm going to tell you this too, because I had to learn this. Nobody in this room is so special that God would make himself a liar over. And he says, I will, I will be with God and I will always be with you. I mean, he means that. And if you think that he's going to start with you and start going back on that promise, you're wrong. You're not that special. That's where worry comes from. That's what Satan will do to you. Where's God now? He don't care about you. Look at you suffering the way you are. God don't care about you. He just whispers that right in your ear all the time until you start believing it. Start doubting God and start worrying and trying to fix it in your own strength. And the whole time God's got something going on to fix all that, to deal with all that. Be still and know that God is God. His way or no way if you're going to be his. So simplicity and solitude. Keep it simple and let God be God. There's a, AT&T has a commercial out right? I don't always approve of TV commercials, but this one, there's a guy sitting in a tattoo, trying to get a tattoo on his arm, and he's questioning the guy if he's any good. And the guy's like, well, I'm one of the tattoo artists, and he's like, you're not the best? What I mean? And the guy's like, he's like, aren't you supposed to draw that first? And he looks up at him, and he's like, stay in your lane, bro. If <laughs> <laughs> you ever see that commercial, it's funny to me, because if, if you just be you, and let everybody else be who everybody else is, like, right? And then let God be God, we will all be fine. First time I went through Atlanta, I was in a car pulling a U-Haul trailer. And I happened to go through there during rush hour traffic. And if you've ever been through Atlanta, it's like 700 lanes all come together at once. And you got to be in the one that's the furthest away from you to get where you're going. And you ain't got much time to decide. And I was a 19-year-old kid when I done it. And then when I started driving the truck... I had white knuckles for the first time driving that truck down the highway. I got all this weight and all this long trailer behind me, and there's people driving around me. And the whole time, I'm just saying, just stay in the lane. Just, you don't run over nobody. Just stay. If you just stay in your lane and everybody else stays in their lane, there's not going to be any problems. When you start trying to do what God does, you're going to have problems. When you start trying to do what somebody else is supposed to do, you're going to have problems. Right? I'm not a banjo player, so if I try to get up here and play the banjo, I'm going to have problems. Mr. Davey, he, he needs to come up here and play the banjo because that's his lane, right? That's his lane. Find your lane and stay in it, and God will tell you what your lane is when it comes to the kingdom of God. And sometimes when we get worried about our problems or we can't get alone, we have problems with keeping it simple and getting by ourselves, we start fixing those problems ourselves. And we try to figure out what to do because God's not, apparently not talking to us. Or we're, we're trying to fix, uh, find answers to trouble, financial problems, or whatever the problems are. And we've lost track of the keep it simple stupid thing. We've disrupted both because we've gotten out of our lane and it's really difficult because we don't know how to drive in that lane. I'm not God and you're not God. And thank God. Amen. 
Because I'm glad I'm not God, and I'm glad you're not God, because we don't know how to love each other the way God does. These are important. Simplicity, solitude. Sometimes things are complicated. Sometimes the dynamics of ministry can be complicated. Right? But it's not so much as not engaging in difficult things. It's not so much as not getting more than what you really need. Because it's okay to have things, as long as there's the right motive. But it's more about what does God want for you? And what is God doing in your life? And how are you participating in the kingdom of God? Because everything that's happening in your life, God will use for his glory. That's why it says, uh, be still and know that I am God. And if you look at, let me get back to what this says. He says, God, I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. That means, not because of your faithfulness, not because that you, you uh, are still and know that God is God or not. No matter what you do or don't do, God will be exalted in the nations. And he will be exalted in the earth. <laughs> this, is, this is really where it gets sad for... I'm about to be done. This, that's really where it gets sad for, especially believers, but people who aren't saved and are questioning... Sometimes we start taking on more responsibility than we should about the kingdom of God. We start getting stressed out about somebody else's salvation. Start getting anxiety about, am I doing it right? What if I don't, what if, the first sermon I ever preached, you look like this. First sermon I ever preached took me about six months to prepare and it took me 45 minutes to close it down. Right? Because I was young and I didn't know how to do it. I was scared that I was going to say the wrong thing or I wasn't going to do it right. I was worried that I, I wasn't going to preach so that somebody wasn't going to learn anything. I, was, I had put in my own hands the result of my preaching in the hearts of other people because I didn't know better. Now, hopefully, I've learned that all I have to do is be concerned with what God thinks about what I'm doing up here. Because I've learned that some of the, my, what I thought were my worst sermons in the world touch a lot of people because they tell me so. And what I thought were some of my great sermons in the world nobody ever talks about. And I'm living proof that you don't have to be the most dynamic preacher in the world for God to use you. You don't have to be the most skilled Christian in the world to be a part of the kingdom of God and be powerful. Because here's the key. It's all the same spirit working in us all. Isn't that awesome? Why wouldn't we want to get alone with God? Because when God's doing it all, it really does get simple. Simplicity and solitude. If you don't really know what I'm talking about, or if you don't know what salvation is about, if you, if you think that you, if you want God to be your God, and all of this excitement in your life, and you want contentment, real true contentment peace the peace of christ then it, it first it starts with repentance acknowledging that you have failed the creator that god created you to be uh his and that you have failed because you've made a choice to rebel or uh do something he said not to do or sin right 
Sometimes I have to catch myself from beating around the bush. We sin. It's an ugly word. But Jesus died so that we can repent, so God could restore us. Jesus died so that we can be alone with him, so that we can get back to this life. Because sin makes everything complicated. You ready? If you need to make a decision for the Lord, let's come up here and do so. All you have to do is confess that Jesus is the Christ. The Bible tells us to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and that's where our journey begins.